0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Recover with Carly podcast. Today's a really exciting conversation. Um, I'm here with Sarah Heron. I'm really, really looking forward to my conversation with Sarah, and I will say I'm a little bit (laughs) starstruck. I have been watching. I've watched Sarah on The Bachelor. I watched Sarah on The Bachelor in Paradise. And so I'm really, really excited to have her here not to talk about The Bachelor necessarily, we might we might touch on it a little bit, but Sarah's doing some really, really amazing work and I'm really excited to share that work with you all and also just give Sarah the opportunity to share her experience, what she's been going through um, and provide that safe space because you all know that's really important here on the podcast is creating that safe space for guests to come in and be vulnerable um, and share what they're going through in a way that feels very healthy. So welcome,
1: Sarah. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. I didn't know that you were a longtime watcher or anything, so that's definitely um, an, a nice little note, but I'm so excited. I just love the way that we connected just recently through social media, which, you know, it just kind of Reaffirms that I do believe there's good from social media and I love that we have connected and that I get to be here to have this conversation with you today. So thank you so much.
0: Of course. Yeah, I, I feel like I have conversations like that love-hate relationship with, with social mm-hmm. media. It's like we have... Mm-hmm. So much positivity in terms of connections and people that we get to interact with, and this kind of community that we get to create. But there's also, unfortunately, the negative side to that as well. But I'm glad that we were connecting here on that positive side. I try to, I'm like, I try to spend my time and energy as much on that positive side as I can. (laughs) One hundred percent. So, Sarah, do you mind just sharing with listeners a little bit about? who you are for
1: for those who maybe are just now learning about you? Yeah, of course. Okay, so I guess you could start with my Instagram bio. I'm Sarah, and I'm recognized most commonly from season 17 of The Bachelor, and I was also on season one and three of Bachelor in Paradise. But in addition to that, um, I've been very vulnerably sharing my journey of IVF over the last two and a half years. Um, I am an adventure enthusiast. My now husband and I live in the mountains and everything we do is oriented around Recreation and adventure. I was also born without my left arm. And so I have spent a ton of time in the advocacy space for disability and inclusion in the outdoors. Um, I, I founded a nonprofit that helps young women with disabilities discover self esteem and confidence through recreation. And um, yeah, I wear a lot of hats. Um, I've also been an advocate for. You know body neutrality body positivity and mental health and I feel like my resume is long but I wear all of it very proudly and I think that that's what draws so many people to you is that
0: you have all of these experiences and you take these experiences and you do something with them and yeah. you know you turn those into spaces that are so empowering and so important for for so many people, right? I think, you know, I, I was reading one of your blog posts and was listening to a podcast you were on recently and you talked so much about this idea of community and just mm-hmm. how important community is to you. And I want to mm-hmm. talk more about that throughout today's episode, but I think, you know, the work that you're doing is embodying that importance, right, of creating that community and totally i couldn't agree more right as someone who's been in eating disorder recovery i don't know what i would do would have done and still to Mm -hmm. this day would do without the community that i have and that has been there for me through my struggles and so i just want to say thank you for creating creating the spaces that you create and for devoting so much time and energy to those spaces
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's my pleasure and it's my opportunity because I always preface and I always tell people that like it's just as much for me as as everyone else. Um, And I really owe tribute to just like I think it was Brene Brown who where I first learned the concept of belonging and the needing of community And so everything I do is just about like normalizing the human experiences that we're Mm -hmm. all having. And for me, it's just been kind of tracking along with my natural life. You know, it's like I don't set out, okay, in 2024, I'm going to talk about fertility. And Mm -hmm. it's just how life is unfolding. And so I share about it because I know the power of community and how much it means to just feel that sense of belonging and like you're not alone.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the case for so many people, which makes that community so important is a lot of these experiences are so unexpected. These aren't things mm-hmm. that we ever wish for ourselves to, or anyone else to ever go through. And when we're in that space of like, I never imagined I would be in this position, it's very lonely and isolating. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I'm sure you can speak on that, that, that loneliness aspect of experiencing just grief and loss and you know you have open you've been open about your mental health and your bipolar diagnosis and Mm -hmm. you know even things like that can feel very isolating it can it can feel very easy to to feel alone in all of that
1: oh yeah it can feel at first like just the world is it, it feels like the end of the world like mm-hmm. it feels like you're alone you don't belong into this club that everyone else is in i mean fertility the fertility world has this saying that it's the worst club with the best members because it truly is like you don't sign up for this you don't sign up for a mental health diagnosis a fertility diagnosis like but the truth is Most of us are going to find ourselves in one of those, you know, um, situations at some point or another where we feel like this isn't what I planned. Mm -hmm. This isn't what I saw for myself. And now where do I fit in? And it is so isolating um, if we let it be. Uh, I think, you know, everyone, of course, is going to have their different preference and safety mechanisms for like their. not everyone wants to talk about their fertility diagnosis. I get it not everyone needs to share on social media but when you do and when you can be brave enough to like let people into your hurt i think that's when we surprise ourselves with like how not alone we actually are Mm -hmm. so i just you know i i always try to be like well i'm willing to be brave in order to have community or in order to have connection and it doesn't necessarily mean it always feels good to be brave and to share but on the other side of it it does so um I just kind of stick with that mentality
0: (laughs) yeah do you feel like a majority of hesitation that people have to open up or share specifically infertility um or you know mental health in general comes from shame internalized shame or shame that society has
1: created around these topics 100% I think the hesitation to share even with family members is still just rooted in stigma and shame I mean um, even when I first received my mental health diagnosis my bipolar 2 diagnosis like no disrespect to my family or my parents but like they come from a different generation where it's like what no you don't have that you're fine like Uh go to yoga like you're fine it's just There's just a transition that's happening, and I'm grateful that, you know, our generation and more generations are, like, doing the work to destigmatize some of these just shared human experiences, but it takes a lot of work, and I think it takes time, and we just have to kind of be, like, patient with pulling back that shame, but 100%, I think that is what prohibits people from wanting to be so vulnerable, and I get it. I totally get
0: it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that just speaking on my own experience with an eating disorder, like that was huge for me too. Like it took me Mm -hmm. so long to share with someone that I was struggling because there was so much shame around admitting that that was something that I was experiencing. And I hear that from clients Mm -hmm. all the time, whether it's an eating disorder or it's grief or it's divorce or it's, you know, Mm -hmm. all of these different things that, are part of the human experience for so many people, there is still so much shame around, I can't admit this. Like I can't, I can't tell people that I'm going through this. And I'm curious if that was a thought or experience you had at the beginning of your bipolar diagnosis or even your infertility diagnosis.
1: Yeah, I think definitely way more shame around bipolar (laughs) Um, because I think, I was just so scared for so long to see a doctor, to see a psychiatrist, because that would confirm that I was, like, wrong or bad or something. Um, And so I kind of just resisted help. I resisted inquiring about these thoughts and my behavior, and I just kind of smothered it because I didn't want to be told something was wrong with me. And then what actually happened was once I – Kind of hit the place of where it was unworkable anymore, and I was like, I need help. I'm really suffering. I started going to therapy, and things escalated pretty fast. You know, I was referred to a psychiatrist and um, went through some evaluations, and that's when they determined that I had bipolar two. It actually had the opposite effect. It actually made me feel like, for once, like I don't know. I felt seen. It felt like oh my gosh, I finally actually have an answer and there's help and there's solutions around it. So it was like I had been resisting this diagnosis for so long. And then once I actually got it, it felt kind of like positive affirmation, if that makes sense, because Mm -hmm. now at least I knew that there was a path forward and there was I could develop a support team and uh, and learn how to like support myself and take care of myself. So you know, I understand like getting a diagnosis can be really overwhelming and there's shame in that, and a lot of people want to resist going to a psychiatrist or going even to a fertility doctor. They just would rather not not know <laughs> that something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I totally get that because it feels so terrifying. But once you have the information, you can make a plan and you can develop that care team that I mentioned. And so I actually find a lot of liberation through, like just knowing what you're working with.
0: Definitely. And I see that, I see that a lot with clients. I have conversations around, is there shame? Are you afraid of, you know, coming to terms with what that diagnosis may be? And then Mm -hmm. I have conversations with clients about, you know, them sharing exactly what you just shared. There's this sense of almost relief in knowing why they have been feeling the way they had been feeling and mm-hmm. having almost like an answer for that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And knowing that, you know, okay, there's a game plan. Like you said, there's a game plan that we can we can work toward and have the, su- the support system and all of that to then move forward through that space. Yeah. How did your bipolar diagnosis show up for you daily? Uh,
1: yeah, so I think for me, and this has been so this was now four years ago four years ago exactly last it was October October 15th Mm -hmm. wait actually I need to look at the date because I think it was it was actually like world mental health awareness day that I found out because I will never forget I went into the psychiatrist's office and they told me and I came out in tears and I opened my phone and it was like world mental health day oh wow is it October I don't know we'll have to look it up but um and so I thought that was really interesting but what led me to that point was my whole life I just felt like I f- I had really big feelings like I felt mm-hmm. things really intensely and um and that would show up through a lot of like rage and anger and um and then of course like deep deep sadness depression Um, I did have some like we would call them kind of like hypomanic manic episodes Um, I'm a creative person I worked in advertising so it was like very easy for me to just work you know until five o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. and sleep for an hour and get up and go back to work like and so what finally came to a head though is I was having just horrible like visualizations I'd be out hiking and I would see I would like actually feel like a mountain lion was following me and the mountain lion was gonna attack me and it became paralyzing to the point where I was like scared to go outside and do the things that I love doing and so that's you know I'd have kind of these like final destination type scenarios like I think everyone has them to an extent but like I couldn't Mm. even function like every time I'd go outside I'd feel like you know something was going to fly out the back of a truck and kill me and I was just like I need help I can't function I can't go day to day just feeling like something is going to kill me and so I went to the doctor and yeah so we so we did all the diagnosis and it was you know kind of more extreme than like a generalized anxiety disorder because it was also coupled with the depression and I got started on medication I was very open to being on medication And I was in therapy once a week, continue to be in therapy once a week ever since. And I did come off medication about two years ago. Um, And I've been able to stay medication free. Um, And I, I think... You know, there have been times where I've been like, maybe I should go back on medication. Like, I have no shame if this is a roller coaster that, like, the timeline takes me on and off. I'm open to whatever. I think medication can be an incredible tool when you need it, um, and if you have the ability to support yourself without medication, I support that as well. So mm-hmm. it's kind of been a journey. But where I am right now, I feel like I'm thriving. Um, I feel like I'm able to detect my mood swings and then implement care plans when I'm like oh I'm behaving a little manic like let's look at what's going on you know externally how can I how can I care for myself around this through this swing Mm -hmm. um and vice versa so
0: you mentioned that your diagnosis was about four years ago Mm -hmm. um and that was after you were on the bachelor yes correct okay yes so what was that experience like for you just briefly being on the bachelor but feeling these feeling these feelings that you just explained before you knew what it was that you were feeling?
1: Well, you know, fortunately like while I was in the bachelor bachelor, I, I never really experienced any significant swings that I felt like in danger or in harm or harmed while I was like filming or anything. What was more surprising to me is that it wasn't detected. (laughs) Like Mm. you have to go through a pretty serious psych eval before going on the show. You meet with psychiatrists you do all the like myers-briggs personality tests you do all kinds of personality tests and you meet with a psychiatrist throughout the show like throughout filming the psychiatrist is in the house she's there if you're ever feeling like big feelings and you need to talk and so that was always like a little peculiar to me that it wasn't detected but like then again i'm not a psychiatrist i don't know how Maybe they're if you're not looking for it, you don't see it. But that was just a little strange to me that I was like, hmm, hmm. like this didn't tip anyone off. Um, maybe it's what they were looking for. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe you know. I don't. I, we don't really know how, what they're looking yeah. for when they're yeah. casting people. <laughs> so I that was my only tip. Was just kind of like that's strange that this was never detected by someone. But can't do anything about it now.
0: I've always wondered if there was like any sort of mental health support on set of these shows, Mm -hmm. I was just Mm -hmm. talking to a friend about this, about the new love is blind um, Mm -hmm. season five and just like stuff that came up in the pods with contestants. And I was like, I hope, I truly hope that there is some sort of mental health professional on set because this is heavy stuff like bringing up, you know, traumas and all of that and so I was always curious if that was something that was a regular thing on on
1: sets totally and um there is there I think there I think by law they have to have psychiatrists present at all hours and um truly it's kind of like the only chance you can get to be like truly off camera and Mm -hmm. off mic it's like your only safe space Mm -hmm. um because basically all at all other times like they have rights to mic you to film you whenever they want so kind of like going to talk to the psych was like oh okay this is my only chance to actually like go talk about my feelings It won't be recorded Mm -hmm. um so yeah they do have someone there that's there to help you and i utilized it i think i think most people do because like i said it's just a is, it's a sanctuary mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so, even, that's, I feel yeah. like
0: I, yeah, I feel like that would be my reaction too as I'd be like every couple of days
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd yeah. be
0: going in just just to be able to like take my mic off and not have to yeah. worry about you know what was being said. And whatnot. Yeah. So I'm happy to hear that that is something that is offered. I was always very concerned about that. So I am I am glad to hear that there is something, there is someone on set who is providing yeah. some sort of support in those situations. Yeah. Yeah. So infertility. You are an IVF warrior. You talk about infertility a lot on your page, mm-hmm. and just curious about the timeline. So you're. Mm-hmm bipolar diagnosis was 4 years ago was the ivf diagnosis before that or after that
1: after okay. so i received my diagnosis of diminished ovarian reserve march 2020 three, so 3 almost 3 years ago mm-hmm. and um we so this came after bipolar i was on medication we were trying to get pregnant for about 6 months did not have any luck Um, I was 34 years old and so typically when you're 34 years old it's a good idea to go have what's called a preconception appointment with your OBGYN Um, and this is just a it's like a check-in for you and your partner to go talk to your care provider and say we're trying to get pregnant and then they kind of give you a timeline so typically at 34 years old they say go try naturally have fun for six months and if you don't have luck come back and we'll run fertility tests so that's exactly what we did we came back ran all the tests and she was like oh yeah you have diminished ovarian reserve (laughs) so that was when the shoe dropped and of course it felt again like why me how is this happening like why do I always get these horrible diagnoses and um, I thought it was just like the end of the world you know uh-huh. is it was, it was very very um traumatic when it happened and um fortunately like now I can look back on it and be like you know yeah it was just more information about uh-huh. me and um it, it's it wasn't as like now it's not as scary as I thought it was um but yeah it was really really hard to uh-huh. to learn that at 34 years old.
0: Yeah. And when you got, when you, when you learned that, did you feel like there was information, a lot of information out there for you to kind of educate yourself on? I know that infertility and specifically like IVF in general, I don't know a whole lot about it. I have, Mm -hmm. you know, people in my close circle who have been through IVF and, I know the mental and emotional strain that it has on individuals, but I'm curious yeah. if you found yourself feeling lost at all after hearing that you were
1: infertile. Yeah. Well, it's a great point because when the doctor told me I would probably need to consider IVF, immediately I was just like, IVF, like that's something. The only time I've heard of that is like my parents' friends who had to do it. And it was like hundreds of thousands of dollars like I had no idea because I same thing like no one in my friend group had gone through that yet I didn't really know anyone um, and so it did feel isolating in a way it just like made me feel so old <laughs> like immediately Um but fortunately there is so much information online there's so many resources and I shared to Instagram like right away I was like I have been diagnosed with diminished ovarian reserve and I'm gonna have to do IVF curious if anyone else has this and you would be so shocked to know the volume of women that came forward strangers and people I thought I knew so intimately were like yep we did IVF we did it what I have diminished ovarian reserve like people that I'm like what like I worked with you day in and day out at a job and you were doing IVF and I had no idea um and so I was just like really shocked to see how many women and families go this route, and it was like as soon as I got that information, I was like, wow, this is there truly is strength in numbers, and that's when people started telling me, you know it's the worst club with the best members and I immediately i I think I did actually feel very I felt like I didn't want the diagnosis, but I felt like community. I felt mm-hmm. like there are people that are going to rally around me and I'm not in this alone. And it was just shocking to know how many people had been through it. How many people had advice and experience and it was just like, yeah, a a full army of women just ready to help and it's been amazing.
0: And do you feel like there's that same there was or is maybe with other people um that same
1: shame aspect with IVF? Yes, I think still so many people experience shame around IVF because same thing generationally like we're kind of just getting to that age right like I don't know how you all how old you are I'm 36 now but like we're getting to that age where it's starting to come into our peripheral and or we're choosing to like stay in our careers longer women are just choosing to have children and start families later in life Mm -hmm. and so really like the only generation above us our parents they didn't, they didn't really, it wasn't the same. Like for them, they were like settling down, having kids at 28 years old. And so I think there's still just, yeah, still shame that like you can't do it naturally. So maybe something's like broken, doesn't work with your body. And that is so not the case. It's just, it's just like, it, it's something that happens to all of us. It's just generationally different. I truly think that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, But I do think a lot of the shame comes from our families, like the most it comes from the families. And that's really hard and sad.
0: Did you experience that shame from your family?
1: No, not at all. Um, You know, I knew that my mom struggled to get pregnant. um, And so her and my dad were very like, I I mean, I think parents are sad for their children when they find out it's going to be difficult um and so they don't want to you don't want to see your child suffer or struggle and so it's it's a bitter pill to swallow to know that your child is going to struggle to start a family um and they and so i think like my parents had a hard time with that but there was no shame they knew it was probably going to be hard for me based off of my mom's experience and um certainly you know my parents don't have all the knowledge about IVF so there's had to be a lot of education on my part like educating them on the process and how to support me and Mm -hmm. um and so that that can also be tough for families is they just don't know really how to support you and Mm -hmm. sometimes that can come off really hurtful um so, yeah, it's it's not an mm-hmm. easy road to navigate. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's, it takes a lot of bravery. It takes a lot of education, a lot of patience with people um, and, and educating, you know, the people that are, like, in your immediate life on, on what to expect through this process. Yeah. So yeah. it's a lot of work. Yeah.
0: And I think another big part of it, too, that has come up with, you know, friends of mine who have been through mutuals of mine that have been through this process is this almost like pressure from society that as women, like our job is to have children. It's to Mm -hmm. be pregnant. It's to have children. And when someone finds out that there is a difficulty in doing that, there's almost this feeling of being less than, like, oh, uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, am not, I'm less than. And I think it's so important that we talk about the fact mm-hmm. that that is not the reality either. It, you know, this right. this experience with infertility doesn't make you, like, less of a amazing mother in the future or less, like, less of a woman mm-hmm. or less of a wife or, you know, anything like that. And I think that's something that comes up just in the self-esteem self-worth space a lot with clients who have been through yeah. this experience of like uh, I just feel like my self-worth is so low because I can't I can't do this naturally and I can only imagine how painful and difficult that would be to experience
1: no you're absolutely right I mean it 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 it's a type of grieving right Mm -hmm. you have to mourn this idea of the way you thought you were going to start a family and in some cases you might have to mourn the idea that you may or may not even be able to carry a child but I mean once you like get into the work of it though it's like there are so many ways to mother um, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to diminish the fact that like yeah it's when you find out that like our bodies are biologically designed to do this but it won't do it that it brings I mean like that is grief you know Mm -hmm. you have to grieve that and you have to mourn that it's not going to look the way you maybe thought it was going to look and it's so hard when you see your friends like hiccup and get pregnant and you are like trying for years on end and pouring hundreds of thousands of dollars into trying to carry a child and it's just not working Uh so yeah it's very it's very hard and I I think like it's so important that if you do receive an infertility diagnosis or if there's going to be challenges like getting support and going to therapy is like I mean it's critical Uh it's critical Uh I think it should you should just that should be your first step yeah. <laughs> like okay find a therapist yeah. um and ideally one that has experience with infertility mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: definitely yeah and we we talk about that a lot with grief too right when you experience grief trying to find that therapist who specializes in grief I mm-hmm. think is mm-hmm. really important I have clients that come to me that are like I just you know I'm, I'm really deep in my grief and I don't mm-hmm. specialize in grief as a therapist and so my number one piece of advice to them is can we refer you can do you mind if we we refer you out to someone who specializes in this because i i know and you know how important it is to see someone who who has that specialization who who spends most of their work in that area
1: yeah yeah you really have to know what it feels like in order to be able to coach someone through it Mm -hmm. um and and you know my therapist she hasn't firsthand experienced infertility but she just is magic she's magic (laughs) I just love her and she's been so great and like just learning about all of it with me and so but it really does take like a mother or someone who has, you know, experienced infertility to to really grasp it. And you're absolutely right. Like I, I mean, grief counseling, I also go to a grief counselor in Mm -hmm. addition. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, definitely find the right person, you know, you don't have to like make the shoe fit. It's just like find the person that's going to have the best skill set to support you. So speaking of grief, do you want to kind of transition
0: into this very devastating, very hard conversation around the grief that you have experienced um,
1: recently. Do you mind sharing yeah. a little mm-hmm. bit about that with listeners? Yeah. So the reason I see a grief counselor is because in January, well, I guess I should back up. Last September, um, we were finally successful through IVF. It was our it was our second attempt. So. Pretty lucky. Um, Some couples, you know, you can get pregnant right away. Some couples will do IVF multiple rounds. We got pregnant on the second go and had a wonderful, healthy pregnancy full of morning sickness and nausea and all the things that indicate a healthy pregnancy. And, um, And then in January, unfortunately, we lost our son. 24 and a half weeks essentially Um, and we have been grieving the loss of him in our pregnancy Mm -hmm. since then and um, and so that's why I said I've been tag-teaming and I've been in grief counseling um, in addition to my normal you know therapy and um, yeah just totally blindsided and devastated to lose our son um, yeah. I just, yeah, kind of mm-hmm. I, I'm sh- you know, kind of sitting here shaking my head. I don't know if, if people can see or not, but like we're kind of at the one year anniversary of like every every day, you know, I'm like, oh, a year ago, today, was this, a year ago, today was that? And um, you know, it's just, Yeah it's something I've been very vocal about and transparent about because everyone was along on my pregnancy journey with me and they got to to know Oliver and so I like to talk about it and share um, what grief looks like um, Mm -hmm. because unfortunately this this is actually also pregnancy loss pregnancy and infant loss awareness month Um, and so I, you know, it's important to me to share because the numbers are staggering of how many families lose a baby every year. Um, and it's not talked about, um, there's, I mean, talk about shame and discomfort. Uh, we just don't really talk about it too much. So I want to celebrate Oliver whenever I can. I like to say his name. I like to show his photo and have him known. Um, because he was only here for a short while. And I just think he deserves to be known and, yeah. and have his legacy live on.
0: And I just want to say thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your experience and your story. I know that it's not an easy thing to share. I know it's not an easy thing to talk about. And we kind of yeah. chatted a little bit about this on Instagram, just in terms of you know, where you're at, how can I, how can I meet you where you're at? And I think that's such a really important part of the grief journey is especially someone, you know, who has a social media following, who has been in the public eye, right? Like there can be this pressure, I'm sure, for you to share all of these aspects and to, I don't know, maybe there's pressure to even, get to a certain point by a certain amount of time or Mm -hmm. anything like that and I think you know being able to allow yourself that that time and that space with your husband and I see your dog on your social media all the time Mm -hmm. and you know just allowing your your family the space to to grieve that and whatever that looks like for you because grief is different for everyone it looks different for everyone exactly
1: it's so different and you know I through my loss have joined support groups and I see women you know it might be what might be right for you is to like jump back into another pregnancy what might be right for you is to take a really extended amount of time off and I just think like there's no roadmap and I thought I was going to have a plan. And I thought like, well, by summer, I'll be ready to be pregnant again. And then summer c- came and it was like, I'm not ready to be pregnant again. Mm-hmm. And, and you just can't really predict it or know it. And so um, I think, you know, if you're someone that's going through loss or have recently experienced a miscarriage or late term pregnancy loss, um, or if your baby was born sleeping, or if you've, one of the parents who's had to make the impossible decision um, to end your pregnancy because of a fetal diagnosis like there is place for you to take this as as whatever it needs to be like your timeline can be whatever it needs to be there's no rushing it Um, and their their support it's it's just so sad because I, I feel like Like I said, we don't see it a lot. We don't Mm -hmm. hear about a lot of these types of losses. Um, But there are communities out there that can support you. And my support communities became my life raft in just like a sea of despair. Mm -hmm. So I just encourage anyone who's going through it, you know, you don't have to share on Facebook or anything, but like seek out communities, seek out support groups because they're truly like the only way I survived. And what do you recommend
0: in being that first step in finding those those spaces and those communities?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, come to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll point you in the right direction. Yeah. Um, but like, honestly, and I'll point you in the right direction. But I would say actually your hospitals, your OBGYN or your just like your local women's care clinic will have resources for you. And they know better than anyone, you know, how to hold space. They can keep things anonymous if that's what you would prefer, but they know, like they're gonna know local chapters, support groups that you can join, virtual support groups. Like they they just are dialed in and they have pamphlets and booklets, like everything that you need. So I would probably say like reach out to your clinic or if you don't feel like you have a clinic, um, you can reach out to probably a mental health uh clinic, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the biggest thing is just like, just reach out, even if it's a a stranger and you don't want to talk to them, reach out to a clinic who can help point you in the right direction.
0: It's wild how many places are now offering virtual, which is amazing. It is so amazing that there's so much access now to support groups. And, um, you know, I was just having this conversation with a friend and I, going to try not to get emotional because I have a friend who recently experienced um, miscarriage and Mm. I was talking to her about, she's like, I just, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to go. And, you know, I I feel like that could be so painful and so isolating, but I I can imagine that hearing from someone like you and other people, like, just reach out, like, I'm here for you. Like, send me a message. I'll help you find these spaces yeah. um yeah because you know just how totally. important that is right
1: you, mm-hmm. it, yeah exactly like if you feel like also it's just too heavy you don't have the bandwidth you, like emotionally to do that someone trusted like if you can go to your girlfriend or your sister or your mom and just be like can you help me look for a group i should join or whatever um task them with that because i think that's also the biggest thing that friends and family going through this, like they don't know how to help, right? Mm -hmm. Like people are like, I want to help, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. My best friend just lost her pregnancy. How can I support her? I think the number one step is to like just ask how you can help. How can I support you? Is there anything I can do? Show up for them. But I I would say that is like a great recommendation, Carly, if you – are a friend of someone just lighten the load for them Mm -hmm. you know uh, Mm -hmm. just help in any way that you can because that's it's really it's daunting
0: yeah and that's really helpful to to hear and i'm sure listeners you know there's probably a pretty high percentage of listeners who have experienced Mm -hmm. this sort of loss or they know someone who has um and so i think just hearing Okay, I'm not alone. This is what I can do to support friends and loved ones. Um, this is yeah. what I can do for myself, right? In in this process, I think that's a really important thing to to hear, and why yeah. this conversation is so important because it it does remove some sort of stigma, potentially, hopefully, for people to open up and and ask for help and and know yeah. that. They're not alone in anything that they're going through.
1: I think anyone who's listening also who has had a child um, and has gone through the postpartum experience is very familiar with what's called the hormone drop um, of after birth. Um, And something that a lot of people don't know is when you have a pregnancy loss, especially if you're in your second trimester already, you still experience postpartum and you still experience the hormone drop um you experience your milk coming in and i think it's important to talk about that because i think a lot of people just don't understand and so you like you understand the severity um oh, maybe like my friend lost her baby it's so sad it's it's got to be so very difficult but to actually consider oh my gosh i remember what it was like to go through postpartum that's what my friend's going through and has the grief of loss so it's it's really a double whammy and i just don't think a lot of people understand that so you know especially like if you have a friend who experiences loss like there's a major major physical toll um and if there's any way you can support them bring them meals (laughs) bring Mm -hmm. them flowers walk their dog because they're going through postpartum just the way you did Mm -hmm. um they unfortunately just don't have a baby to show yeah. for it, and and yeah, I I think that's kind of like one of the the biggest things. I had a girlfriend recently be like, I had no idea, like I didn't consider it that way. I had no idea, and I was like, yeah, sucks. Yeah, yeah, it's really horrible. Yeah, so. and
0: same same for me, right? Like that's that is mm-hmm. information that I was not familiar with, and I think that that just shows the sort of lack of. Education and knowledge that comes with this topic. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, stigma, shame, right? I think that this should be something that's more prioritized in terms of Mm -hmm. like what we're taught and like, you know, even in school, right? Like why do we not have a high school course that like teaches us about this process or, you know, like I think that there's definitely space for there to be way more, conversation and
1: education right well and i mean especially here for you know in in terms of like body image like also your body changes if you have Mm -hmm. a later term pregnancy loss like i did i mean and then you go through the postpartum and you still have like your postpartum body and you have to you know you got to work through that and now here you are like six months postpartum and you're like well I still don't fit in my jeans and I don't have a baby to show for it and then and so then that becomes a whole game in your head too of just like well I never you know like we we always hear about like bounce back Mm -hmm. culture and how you're supposed to like bounce back and I don't think there is like a space that's really being held for women who go through pregnancy loss and have and still have their pregnancy body um Yep. And so that has also been like a, a challenge for me is especially as fall is coming. And I pulled mm-hmm. my jeans out <laughs> yesterday. I was like, these don't fit. <laughs> yeah. And um, but there isn't that like same like, I don't know, c- mm-hmm. self-compassion mm-hmm. of like, well, I carried a baby. Yeah. Um. Of course. You know, so it's just it's I don't know. That might be something for you to explore <laughs> a little yeah. bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: It's hard. It's, it's no, hard. I, yeah. I mean body image in general, self-esteem in general, self-worth in general is really difficult. And I can't imagine Mm -hmm. throwing grief on top of that. Um, yeah. And just, I can't imagine how frustrated that, that must Mm -hmm. feel for you to be in that space where you see people having these conversations about, you know, moms embracing their bodies after they have their babies mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. this feeling of like unfairness of like why am yeah. why am i and, and and others in this community or this space not receiving the same compassion and the same right. validation and i think that you know it's one of those things again where it's lack of education or just mm-hmm. lack of conversation around this where people don't think about it, which is still frustrating, you know, I think is what makes these conversations so important and and what makes the work that you do so important because hearing, you know, hearing this, your side of things and hearing what you've been through, so many people are going to be like, oh, I relate so much to Sarah. I've been there. I felt this. And like we were saying at the beginning, just that sense of validation and just that like knowing that someone else has kind yeah. of been where you're at or, you know, is going through what you're going through. It just helps, helps us feel a little less alone in, totally. in those spaces. And thank you for bringing that up. Cause I think that that's definitely a conversation that I'm hoping to have now more often mm-hmm. with people and, and, you know, potentially engaging with you more in that conversation, right. Of like, we have to we have to remember that that moms who you know experience child loss still have these same sort of Mm -hmm. postpartum experiences and we have to keep that into consideration or there's going to be a lot of people left feeling very lonely and unaware of where to go or what to do with these feelings
1: yeah and i mean not even it doesn't even really stop there i mean like the body changes significantly through IVF treatments Mm -hmm. so like before you're even pregnant you know some women will do years of egg retrievals and hormone therapies and it takes a toll on the body and the body changes from these hormones it just does and so that is also very difficult I know for a lot of women like I just don't have the body I had before IVF and then there's like some shame and resentment around that and man i mean there's just a whole a whole new pandora's box for you to (laughs) dig into carly and maybe you can like expand upon that now with clients but Mm -hmm. um it's yeah it's a whole the body image component of infertility is real yeah very real Mm -hmm. and there's a lot a lot to unpack there yeah
0: how do you just maybe just briefly how have you found yourself navigating
1: that space um it's really hard I'm not gonna lie as someone who you know I also struggled with disordered eating and body very 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 poor body image especially around bachelor time of my life um so it's been hard because oftentimes yeah I will be like it's not fair like I can't shed the 10 pounds from pregnancy and I but I don't have a baby to show for it or like are people gonna look at me and be like wow she's really let herself go you know you just can't you make up these narratives um and so fortunately like one of my best friends is a body relationship coach and so I get some like free free mentorship and um and I just have to remind myself, like, no, my, my body created life. And my body supported a child and a baby. And I went through a very traumatic experience. And sometimes I just have to remind myself of the timeline and be like, it hasn't even been eight months. Like, mm-hmm. it hasn't even been eight months since I lost my son. Like, I have to be a little bit more compassionate to myself and kind because, like... I'm, I'm just as deserving of being here and, like, taking time to be in my body. I mean, it was so long before I even, like, started moving my body again because I was just in grief and depression. And so I just try to remind myself whenever that dialogue comes in, like, no, Sarah, like, you had a baby in January. And just because your baby isn't here doesn't mean that, like, the whole body transition – wasn't real and and my body is healing and protecting itself right now and it's it's also protecting my mental health and like my body is showing up for me right now and so I just like sometimes you don't want to believe it right like we can come up with these like reaffirmations and you're like I don't believe it but I'm gonna keep saying it I'm just gonna keep telling myself because I just I think need to put things into perspective for myself every once in a while. And so if anyone's listening and also is in similar boat, like just try and put things into perspective, like think of all the ways your body is showing up for you, trying to create life, grow life, like grow eggs for an egg retrieval. Like these are no small feats that the body is doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so just try to have compassion for, you know, the ways that your body is showing up. And I think oftentimes I find
0: myself having conversations like this with clients about this idea of like, if you had a friend who is in your position, what would you be saying to your friend? What would you be like, you would be giving your friend so much love and so much grace and so much support. And so how can you flip that, right? And give that same grace and love and support to yourself, um, totally. You know, because at the end of the day, it's like we are our biggest critics and we can be so mean to ourselves and we deserve better than that. At the end of the day, we deserve better than that. We deserve to to speak kindly to ourselves and to yeah. show love to ourselves, whether we believe it 0.001% or we believe it 99%. Those words yeah. that we use to ourselves, that we use toward ourselves they have an impact on us. Mm -hmm. And I always tell clients, I'm like, you can either choose to use harmful, mean words towards yourself, or you could choose words that are just slightly more loving and empathetic. And I always challenge them. I'm like, I challenge you to just be aware of your thought process when you change that verbiage, when you change the way you speak to yourself. Like, be aware of like, that shift that you feel mentally and emotionally and Mm -hmm. just having so much more love and empathy towards yourself is does wonders (laughs) does so much yeah
1: like if my friend was being harsh on herself for what I've been through I would like cry I'd be like are Mm -hmm. you kidding me like I would just smother her and hug her and be like no like you've been through so much like this is you know I would just yeah I would break my heart and so I just need to try and have remind myself of that of like yeah these things take time like what what I went through is not to be rushed through and erased overnight so definitely definitely
0: so to kind of wrap things up um, you mentioned a little bit earlier this idea of Oliver's um, legacy and this is something that I also heard you mention in another podcast and it struck a chord with me, it stood out to me obviously because I, I, I'm remembering it I wrote it down and I think that this idea can be incredibly helpful for people who have experienced loss and um, mm-hmm. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about this idea of Oliver's legacy, this concept?
1: So for me, I am very into like my spirituality is that I believe in spirit babies. I believe in our soul babies. And I I choose to believe that Oliver had big intentions for his short life and it is my job to see that through and it is my job to talk about him and to just like share what I've learned through him and so when I say like Oliver's legacy will live on it's because for me even though he's not here like he's he he was a a bigger than life soul and I I think I think he came through me to like share and to talk and to spread awareness about loss and normalize some of these topics. And, and, you know, maybe it's because I have a platform, but I'm like, a lot of people know about Oliver. And I think he had that in mind. (laughs) And (laughs) so I just want people to, you know, just think of him and just know him and it can be a metaphor you know like he can be a metaphor for what you're going through but like that our babies even though they might not be here like their souls had larger than life impact on us and I you know that's Oliver's legacy. Yeah. We'll never forget him. Like He's always going to be swimming with sea turtles. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And I love that. I did see that on your I was watching some of your Instagram stories. Um, do you mind sharing a little bit about the the sea turtles? I saw, yeah, I would I saw love a little to. bit about that.
1: So when when I was pregnant, we went to Hawaii for my birthday. And I had also this is horrible, but like the same day I found out I was pregnant with Oliver, I broke my leg so it was like Fun. really peculiar because i was on bed rest for the first six weeks of my pregnancy because i couldn't take i couldn't have surgery i couldn't take um any pain medication i couldn't even take advil so i had to sit on the couch while my bones regrew for six weeks wow. so by the time my birthday came we we're like let's go to hawaii we went to hawaii i was still barely hobbling around but we went swimming with sea turtles And um, it was so magical. I've never had that experience. It's it's just amazing if you get the chance to do it. And when we lost Oliver, part of some of like a big piece of the grief was that we weren't going to be able to go on the adventures that we had envisioned with Oliver. We weren't going to be able to take him hiking and exploring. And I turned to Dylan in our one of our grief counseling sessions one day. And I was like, but think of like think of all that we did get to do with him and we took him swimming with sea turtles and that just like stuck out to us and so we've kind of like hinged on sea turtles being like our symbol for Oliver mm-hmm. and um, and so I just think of like him and he got to swim with sea turtles and even though his life was short he got to go to Hawaii and yeah. you know experience adventure through us yeah. I love that. That's beautiful.
0: (laughs) That's so beautiful. I love it. Yeah.
1: So, Sarah, to kind of wrap things up,
0: then, uh, thank you so much for being here. This has been, I mean, I've learned so much through this conversation, and I've learned so much just in following along on social media and, you know, seeing what you're sharing. And, you know, now that I have close people who are experiencing this, which, I I hate saying that because I feel I'm a huge believer in that we should really try to educate ourselves on things that we aren't directly impacted by. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, or I think that, you know, it's important for us not to wait until we're directly impacted by something before we Mm -hmm. start to kind Mm -hmm. of prioritize that, that education and knowledge. Um, But I'll admit it, like that wasn't something that I was, that I was thinking about or that I was educating myself on. And now that I have had this conversation with you and I have people in my life who are experiencing this, this has become a priority for me to figure out how can I be the best support for these, for these people and even clients, like how can I educate myself to the best of my ability to support clients who are experiencing this? And this conversation has been pivotal in all of that so thank you thank you so much for for being here and for for sharing everything that you shared today
1: of course thank you for giving me the platform i'm happy to happy to share
0: of course so before we before we end things do you mind sharing with listeners where they can find you where they can follow along
1: and reach out if necessary yes you can follow me on instagram at sarah heron s-a-r-a-h-h-e-r-r-o-n I'm not really on tiktok um you can also join my support group i host a support group um on my website it's just sarahheron.com the group is called the infertile circle and we meet on zoom um, so if that's something you're looking for definitely reach out and that's kind of it. You can email me, DM me, whatever you feel yeah. is comfortable.
0: And I'll put everything in the show notes so it's easy for, for listeners to find you. And again, okay. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Um, yeah. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story. Um, and listeners, if you resonated or related to today's episode, feel free to leave a rating or review, screenshot it, tag Sarah and I, let us know what you're taking away from today's episode. I know it's... Yeah. It's a little heavy, and that doesn't mean that it's not worth uh, the space and the conversation. Yeah. We we have to find space for the heavy stuff, and I'm yeah. glad that I'm glad that I can provide that, and that I get to have guests like you, Sarah, on to
1: my pleasure. Here for the heavy, <laughs> yes, here <laughs> Thanks, for the heavy, Hillary. of
0: course. And I'll see you all in the next episode. Bye. Bye.